Um, I have a question. Have you ever had a friend that was a really close follower of Jesus and also was a really, really good listener? Right? The kind of friend that you end up, you find yourself saying things that you kind of didn't want to talk about, but then were relieved somehow that you talked about it. These friends are a gift to us. And uh, this morning, uh, we're going to have uh, Stephen Lindsay and share with us. He's that kind of friend uh, for me and probably to many of you as well. So would you welcome with me Stephen Lindsay? Good morning, Emmaus. So I was standing over there, worshiping and also thinking that I hope um, I don't say anything that you don't like and you never come back here. <laughs> or you don't invite me back, I guess that would be true too. But I don't think that's the case because I, I responded to myself with, but these people are here because they want to be transformed. They're not here to hear a message and forget it. Amen? I don't usually speak with a microphone like this. Justin hooked me up right before um, we all started. And he actually has control of my voice right now, so if he wanted to, he could just shut it off. And I was thinking, this thing. So the last time I spoke here was two years ago. Um, does anybody remember what I talked about? <laughs> That's good, so I'll just do the same message one more time. <laughs> just a little bit about me in case you don't know. Um, I dropped out of college early. I was quite bored in my uh, college career. I was taking a lot of child development classes, and I thought, I remember the moan of just thinking, I don't want to be here, I want to go do the work. So I literally walked out of the classroom and got a job at a local psychiatric hospital that I didn't even know existed, but I found it, and I th thought, this is great. Um, I worked with adults, adolescents, young adults, but most of my work was with adolescents. And I fell in love with the work. I, I thought, this is what I want to do the rest of my life. I also met my wife there, which a lot of people can't say is that they met their wife in a psychiatric hospital. <laughs> I love saying that joke. I think I've said that for like, I don't know how many years. <laughs> so this was in the early 80s, so before some of you were born, I imagine. Um, and I don't do direct care anymore. I did for most of my life in a variety of settings. Now I fly around the country training others, um, professionals in school settings and hospital settings residential settings who are working with potentially aggressive and violent people. Since this past June, I've stayed in seven different hotels. My eighth one will be tonight. Um, these past two weeks, I've been to Wisconsin and Indiana training 15 people. Five of them were psychologists, some of them were behavioralists, and some of them teachers. People often ask me what I do, especially when I'm renting a car. Like, what are you, what are you here for? And it's, it's a bit hard to describe what I do. I haven't said this to anybody, but I've come to believe that I teach peace. I'm trying to teach these professionals how to be peaceful when faced with aggression. And I have always loved sharing music with people. Um, I used to make mixtapes for people, but cassettes don't exist. 
I made mixed CDs for people and said, you should listen to this, I love this music. But people don't play CDs that much anymore. So I'm going to play a song for you if this works. Um, what I'd like you to do is just relax for a minute and listen to this really brief song. It's about two minutes. And the lyrics will be up there. I'd say close your eyes, but those are the lyrics. That will make sense later. So this is going to be a different kind of a message for most of you. There's going to be less preaching and more storytelling, and then we're going to practice. So I'm going to tell some stories, and then we're all going to scream. Are you, are you, you're all down for that, right? So I'm going to tell you a story about riding my bike, but this is not a story about riding bikes. Okay. Um, shortly after I spoke here two years ago, during my, the summer of 2017, I crashed while riding my bike. Um, some of you know that, some of you were extremely supportive, um, and it was your prayers that actually helped me heal. Um, so I was riding by my house in Loomis, I was going 26 miles per hour, I was going slightly downhill, and just out of the blue, my front tire popped, and I just crashed on my right side. Um, I ended up in a ditch. I'm not sure how I got there. It's like part of my brain that's not quite in recall. And I remember looking at my two fingers of this hand thinking, that's, that's not right. Because these two were facing that way, and I thought I broke my fingers. So I found my phone, I called my wife, and I said, I think I broke my fingers. Patty knew I was riding my bike. So she left work. I didn't tell her that I wasn't at home, so she actually was going home. Um, I was having trouble breathing. A man stopped by. Oh, that's me on second day. <laughs> that was day two. Um, let me just hold that for a second. <laughs> I know that's not easy to look at. Anyway, so it turned out a, a very kind man stopped and put me in his car and took me home. And then Patty showed up and realized we needed to call 911 right away, so we did that. Shortly after that, I was in an ambulance on my way to the hospital and um, found out that I did not break my two, these two fingers. They were only dislocated. Um, I did break five ribs, puncture my lung, and break my shoulder. But that was it. <laughs> um, and I'm not sure why I'm flashing the peace sign in this. Um, I think it's because I was heavily medicated. And those two fingers wouldn't bend. So that's about all I could do with them. Um, I don't know if you guys are squeamish about bone x-rays. If you are, you should look away right now. If you like them, look at this. 
<laughs> okay, we can move on from that. There was no real reason to show you that except to get that response. So, I was in the trauma ICU for nine days, and um, on day six, I remember saying to one of my doctors when they came in to check my lung, and I said, how long am I going to be here? And um, I just remember thinking it was a day-to-day -day experience, and I wouldn't know until somebody said, it's going to be 24 hours from now. But I just remember lying there thinking, how much longer? Have you had that experience in anything in your life where you're thinking, how long are we going to keep doing this? The Irish band U2, some of, the, some of you are familiar with them, they use the phrase, how long, in, one, in two of their songs, actually, in 1983. One was called Sunday Bloody Sunday. It was about the war and turmoil in Ireland, their hometown. And it was this idea of how long are we going to have to suffer? How long is there going to be violence? The second time was on the last song of the same album, and it's called 40. It's basically Psalm 40 with the refrain of how long. But this time it's how long until we can sing the song of deliverance? How long until we can have victory? And um, Psalm 96.1 says, sing a new song to the Lord. But oftentimes when we're struggling, it doesn't feel like we can sing a new song. The only other time I've come close to crashing while riding my bike was when Nathan and I were on a men's retreat and he and I went for a bike ride, and I was going downhill again, pretty fast, and there down at the end of this hill, the bottom of the hill, there was a cattle grate, and I didn't realize it, but on the other side of the cattle grate, there was a pothole, really big. I didn't notice it until I was going over it. And I thought, I am going to like be off my bike. And I was holding on to these particular handlebars really tight, and they broke. So there's a crack right here. It was pretty obvious that I couldn't keep riding my bike. I was pretty amazed that I didn't crash, like I was able to stop. But it was like, there's no real purpose to tell you this story either, except to say, you can still sign up for the men's retreat, so you should probably <laughs> do that. So t two years ago, I crashed. I was in the hospital, so that was traumatic for my body and, um, and my, my thinking quite a bit. So I've been riding again, and recently, I've noticed something when I've been descending. So I've had two, two kind of incidents while descending. The latest, latest one, two years ago, was the most devastating for me. But now I'm healed, and I'm going downhill, and something was happening to my bike. It was this. I would be riding, and my front would go like this, which is not fun. So I remember coming home and telling Patty about it. There's something going on. But when I go downhill, I'm not in a hurry to get to the bottom. I'm like squeezing my brakes, trying to avoid actually getting to the bottom. And that takes a lot of the fun out of riding a bike, right? When you're climbing a hill, it's work so that you can go down fast. 
I'm climbing hills now, dreading getting to the top because it means I'm going to have to go down. So I looked it up. I thought there must, maybe if I've experienced this, maybe somebody else has. So I looked it up, found out it actually has a name. So here it is on Wikipedia, where all information is held. So if you can't see that, it's called Speed Wobble, Wobble, Shimmy, Tank Slapper. I don't know what that's about. It happens, happens to motorcycles, too. And then the last one is called Death Wobble. That's the one I could relate to the most. <laughs> death Wobble. So this wasn't helpful, actually, when I saw that people call it Death Wobble. So when I was descending, that's what I had in my mind, this idea of Death Wobble. And I'm not kidding, but when I would, as soon as I would crest the top and start descending, my hands were on the brakes to slow everything down. And I was literally thinking, I'm going to hit the ground again. And I already know what that's like. So, in doing my research, I found out that there's two possible reasons for death wobble. We could just call it de-wobble if you want. One is system error, so that would be the bike. Or two would be rider error, which would be me. <laughs> so eventually, I, I kept looking at my bike, trying to tighten things up, and eventually just tightened up my wheel. And it took out a great deal of it, but not all of it. And I have a friend who's a retired competitive cyclist, so I went to him, and he had the right tools, and he knew what to look for, and he made some other minor adjustments, and it took away most of it. I was like, it felt like I had a different bike like a safe bike. But it just struck me, I needed that other person to take me further than I could go. I couldn't, I couldn't figure out enough on my own. On my own. <clears throat> the next thing was how to address the other part, which was me. How do, I, how do I address writer error? So it turned out I was doing the exact opposite of what you should do when this starts to happen. Have you ever been like that? You, you find out you're doing the exact opposite of what you should be doing, and then you're like, I can't believe I keep doing that. So when I would feel my handlebars begin to shake, I would grip them as tight as I could because it felt like I needed to control this thing. And I would then look down at my bike and my handlebars to see what is going on here. So imagine this, I'm starting to do this, I grip my handlebars, I'm looking down, which brings my body weight down also, and my view away from what? Straight, right? So I'm doing all of this because I'm thinking I've got to control this. And the physical tension that I was holding in my body would last longer than, than the ride itself. So I had noticed even after I stopped riding, I still had tension in my body. Do you ever feel like that after a situation is over, a conflict, and you still feel that tension? Like the tension doesn't go just because the conflict has maybe subsided or ended? So I imagine even if you don't ride a bike, you can relate to some of this. Yes? Okay. What I learned was that I should relax my grip that I should hold my handlebars lightly, which just seemed counterintuitive. It was like, 
if I relax my grip, what's, who's going to control the bike? And then I, I read that I should also look ahead, like straight, even while this is going on. And that I should intentionally breathe through the whole thing. Because what I had to do in hindsight was look back and go, when this was happening, I would hold my breath. Has that ever happened to you? You're going through something difficult and you realize, I know I'm breathing because I'm still living, but it's real shallow or real strained. And so that was going on with me. This is why this matters, or if you want, this is where the rubber hits the road. You like that? That Took me a while to come up with that line right there. So often in life, our everyday life, when we experience our own wobble, whatever wobble in your life would be, we also do the exact opposite of what we should. We tighten our grip on whatever the situation may be. We attempt to control the wobble. And this tension then lives within our bodies. And it might even feel as if we can't breathe, as if life has us by the throat and we're suffocating. We might be holding our breath, just trying to hold on until the next wobble or this one subsides. And sometimes that internal voice, that negative voice we give so much space to, isn't very helpful. Does that ring true? Like sometimes it, it sounds like your voice, or maybe it's an outside voice, but it just keeps saying the thing that's not helpful to you. I know somebody that has named that voice. He's named it Marv. He said whenever he hears Marv talking, he kind of recognizes it, and he just, Marv, you need to take a break for a minute. Sometimes that voice says this, I'm not worthy, or other people are better than me, or things will be better when I have this, or criticism of me is fact, or there's no point in trying. We encounter struggles and hardships, and this becomes our own life wobble, and we strive to control it. Or we go it alone. Or we appear like we are in control, and everything's okay. Oftentimes, that's a church experience, is we struggle throughout the week, and then we come here, and we act as if everything's good when it can't possibly be all good, because we're all struggling. Life is a struggle. You all know that, right? Like, I'm not, (laughs) you're looking at me like, not for me. (laughs) Maybe it is for you. So, this is important. It'll come up, I think, maybe we need to speed up to this, that how we say what we say matters. Um, if the slides are messed up, it's on me because it was one of the last things I thought of in putting this message together. Um, But we all don't need a slide presentation, right? Okay. So how we say what we say matters. I've taught that to staff for years because they're always working in tense situations where it matters how you say something. Keep in mind that I'm saying this to you, but I'm working on it too, right? My wife would be the one who knows best about, well, yeah, how you, how you say what you say really matters too. 
So I mentioned my 40 years of work in the mental health field. So I've worked in residential programs most of my life, most of them working with kids who are 8 to 22, most of them with deep emotional wounds. Working with the staff who worked with them was another part of my job. The last eight of those, I was fortunate to have participated in a deeply significant program where we were helping people work with their emotions. So imagine these 16, 17, 18-year-old kids who were just having these really difficult lives, abuse, drug abuse, sexually abused, and having to work through the emotions that they carried with that experience, their own trauma. Oftentimes, what they would do to counter that would be the exact opposite you should do. So in this particular program where I was being taught, they were teaching these kids and the staff how to work with their emotions, which is an odd term because it's not one we just talk about, how to work with your emotions. Culturally, we're conditioned to stuff our emotions, like just keep pushing them down, or deny our emotions, or maybe dump them on others, giving our emotions free reign to hurt others. So when we stuff or deny them, we tend to build, they build up until they leak out in ways that hurt others and damage relationships. So the work I participated in helped others and myself learn how to release some of these debilitating emotions. Again, stuffing and denying these emotions would often be the exact opposite of a healthy, helpful, spirit-led response. Emotions are good, right? We could agree with that. Emotions are good. Um, it's when our emotions control us that they're not so good. So, emotions are good. We are not often good with our emotions. So, when we encounter life and we do every moment of every day, we should relax our grip whatever you're holding on to so tightly. I love this phrase from um, Eugene Peterson's The Message. It says, this is, would be a quote from Jesus, is to learn to live the unforced rhythms of grace freely and lightly. That'd be a great way to live, freely and lightly. And to breathe. Well, number two would be to set your eyes on the Lord. Psalm 16, verse 8 says, I have set my eyes on the Lord. Just think how helpful that would be if in the midst of conflict or in the midst of a struggle where you're experiencing some wobble, you're getting knocked off balance a little bit, that you just said to yourself, I will set my eyes on the Lord. I will not look at this situation right here. I know this is intense, but I'm going to lift up my gaze and I'm going to set my eyes on the Lord. Number three would be to breathe, to breathe intentionally, deep and slow. So the work that I um, participated in, it was called release work and it was called support work. I've done some of this with some of you in here. It's actually, this has been a dream of mine, being here today doing this, because when I first participated in this, 
Actually, I had a colleague that said, well, you, got, you got to see this work these people are doing. And I was arrogant enough to go, I've been in residential treatment all my life. I'm not going to see something new. And that was my thought. But I went anyway, and I sat in on one of their groups, and I left there thinking, we've got to do this. And then I thought the church should do this. Because the church is really good at kind of having a facade that everything's okay. This is the very place where we should be real with each other. So we had support work where if somebody was feeling really empty and they've given and given and given and they can't give any more, we would have activities and exercises we could do to kind of fill them back up. And if they were feeling like over, just flooded with emotion, with anger, sadness, fear, then we could do some release work to maybe get that to create more space in them. It doesn't fix their situation, but it creates more space. It takes some of that load out of them so they can actually do what they need to do. Is this making sense? Are you getting excited? Because pretty soon we're going to practice. <laughs> when, I, when I train, like this week, one of the topics I'll be training on will be patience. How many of you think you have a lot of patience? Just a show of hands. Okay. Some of you might start the week off with a lot of patience, but then as the work week goes, you're like done on Thursday. It's like no more patience. And it, it's interesting, in the stuff that we train, we say to people, um, you should have patience. But no one has more patience right after I say that than they did before I said that, right? So if I say you should be more patient, nobody has more patience. Even if this was like a day-long seminar on being patient, you wouldn't have any more patience. What would you have to do? Practice, right? You have to practice. Just like just coming to church to hear an inspiring message doesn't make you more Christian, doesn't make you a better follower of Christ unless you leave and practice. So our everyday experiences, our struggles, our inconveniences, our disappointments, it's all just like going to the gym to practice, to develop patience. Except not all of us like going to the gym for anything. So we don't like doing things like that. Like, well, this is, this is making me work or it's making me outside my comfort zone. But that's the stuff that makes us grow. So we actually are going to practice. Um, we're going to release some emotion. Um, this is where it's going to be really different. Like, I'm pretty sure you've never experienced this before. So I'm going to need you to help, because if you all just sit there and don't participate, <laughs> that's what Nathan's going to hear when he comes back. <laughs> so you realize that many of the Psalms were first written, when they were first written, the author was probably experiencing a lot of emotion. Um, often, though, this, when we read Scripture, it's, it just seems flat. Has that ever been your experience? Like, you're just reading it. it. It feels like reading somebody's text message. There's no emotion. There's no context to it. It's like, okay. And we, and we forget to think about what is the emotion of this. So in the Psalms, the phrase, how long, is, that's in several songs. 
usually it's the people of God crying out to him saying, how long must we go through this? But scripture also has God saying that to us. God also says to us, his people, how long will you keep doing that? Even Jesus said it to his community. How long will you continue? And I imagine when they were writing that, it wasn't flat. Like, it was full of emotion. You guys ready to try this? <laughs> I can tell you're excited. Okay, so everybody stand up, if you will. Just let your hands hang at your side. I want you to take a deep breath in and hold it and relax. Very good. We're not going to get into like any content as far as emotions. We're just going to practice a very, very simple exercise. Um, but what I would like you to practice in here is to re re relax your grip on your um, pride, on any tension you might have, just, just mentally let things go and be in the room for a moment. And maybe set your, set your eyes on the Lord before you. I'm going to ask you to please not do this at home. <laughs> this, is, this is like, I don't want you to go out and start yelling at people when we're done with this. Um, you could do it in your car. If nobody else is in your car, that would be fine. So we're going to practice what we called yes, no. I'm going to say no, and you're going to say yes. It's real, real simple. It's real yes and no are usually the first words that children learn. They hear no a lot. You might be touched by this because you're just not used to doing it, and it might be uncomfortable. So I would just ask you to challenge yourself to pay attention to your body, to pay attention to the spirit. And I just want you to take a little mental snapshot right now of how you're feeling. Are you anxious, excited, whatever's going on in your life? Are you distracted? So I'm going to take on the role of some of your negative voices. So this isn't me. I'm taking on the role of some of that negativity that we have to push up against. You get the opportunity to battle that, okay? Does everybody get that? This is not me. <laughs> Playing a role. When I say no, I want you to say yes, and we're going we're gonna to just build the intensity. That's what, that's what I'm looking for. Not necessarily looking for it to be loud, but it will get loud. I'm looking for your intensity. How much do you believe the yes that you're saying? Everybody good? No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Can you guys get louder? Okay. <laughs> okay. Earlier, I heard the kids upstairs. I think it's time they heard us. Okay. We're going we're gonna to put some context to this. So I'm going to start saying some things, and the answer that most likely will come from you will be um, yes, and then just the rest of the answer, but try to keep them short. It'll be something like this. This won't work. No. Yes. 
this won't help you. The cross won't help. Just think about how much you believe that. This cross will not work. You won't relax your grip. You won't set your eyes on the Lord. No. No. You are not the beloved of God. You are not being transformed. You do not bear the image of God. No. 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 All right, take another mental snapshot of how you feel now. Anybody feel a shift? Like what was it? Okay. Anything else? Stronger. Okay. Empowered. Relax. Which, which you've got, you have no more power than you did before we did that. It just kind of releases that energy. Good. You guys can all have a seat. <laughs> I knew there was a risk in doing this. I just knew it. Okay. So if you've been stuck, maybe doing the exact opposite of what you should be doing, experience some life wobble of your own. Maybe it feels like death wobble at the moment. Maybe just pay attention to the Spirit's prompting. I know I haven't led you through this little sheet very clearly. Um, but that's okay. I was going to do that for you, but it's okay. Um, what I would hope from this that you'll remember to relax, to breathe, and to set your sights on the Lord. Look ahead of you. And sometimes you can even just say that. I will set my sights on the Lord. And remember, Jesus says to us to give up your life and follow. I'm merely saying relax your grip. It could be on the things that you're holding on to tightly. Trying to be right. Trying, maybe it's your political beliefs that you hold on so tightly and hearing anything else sends you off. Maybe it's your fears that you're holding on to, your anger. Maybe it's a desire to meddle. I like that word. I've been thinking about that a lot. Is what, in what areas do I meddle? Even just letting my mind go where it doesn't really need to go. Your righteousness, your pride, whatever it is to relax your grip. If you're wondering if this actually works, it did for me. A few weeks ago, when I was going down a hill, I got up to 45 miles an hour. So I was pretty happy with that. So, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this, this brief experience. Two minutes of just releasing some emotion. I pray that we not, we not forget it, God, what this feeling was, and maybe we pursue how to work with our emotions. 
how to be who you want us to be, to understand that we don't and shouldn't be afraid of our emotions. We shouldn't deny them. You gave them to us. You just want us to, to have them and not let them have us. In Jesus' name, amen.